Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We, we began a, a series last week with, with Pastor Steve. Did you guys love having Pastor Steve here last week? That was fun. I loved it. And uh, love being able to have the lead pastor of the house come in and, and encourage us. It was a lot of fun. But um, uh, we, we started a series. Thank you, Nikki. We started a series last week called Love Your Family. Everyone say, Love Your Family. And the whole idea of this is, is for us to understand uh, that we are a part of not only a family here, like we want you to see UD as family. We'll use the language sometimes, UD fam. And like any family, undivided is not perfect. And someone said Amen. Don't like, don't like it. Be so emphatic about it. Like we're, we're, de- no. But th- that's the truth. Any family has dysfunction. How many of you have a dysfunctional family? Does anyone have a dysfunction? How many of you ha- you have a family and you can't even remember the last time you had an awkward? Like everything is just perfect at home. <laughs> I almost believe you, Milan. But the, hey, that, that's the reality. Is every family is dysfunctional. And so when you look at the undivided family, you know it's dysfunctional, but as believers, you and I are called to find dysfunction and bring to it a sense of function. We're called to find places in society and in our homes and in the workplace and wherever we go at school that when we see dysfunction, we bring order and peace and kindness and uh, we dissolve issues. Why? Because we bring function where there's no function. And in the same way, just like Undivided is a dysfunctional family that needs people who are willing to, to, to find solutions and bring function as opposed to uh, only ever resent people for not doing what they do so well, instead we bring order to it. It's the same thing that you're called to do at home. Because the reality is, is each one of you has a family that you are a part of at home. Whether you have both parents at home, or you have one parent, or you've never known your dad, or you, you had a parent that died uh, when you were a young kid, or your family, you, you don't, you don't, you're not close with your parents, or your brothers and your sisters, you can't stand them. I, I don't know what your family situation is, but each and every one of us is called to not just come to church and love God at church and then go home and allow our home life to look different than what it looks like here. I can't tell you how many times over the years we'll go to camp or we'll have an amazing Wednesday or a season and, and you, you, see, you see people give their lives and their hearts to God and, and things begin to change and you're like, man, every time I see them, they're just getting... They're more passionate, more, we'll we'll use the words, on fire for God, you know, that kind of thing. And it's awesome. And then I'll get a call from their mom like, hey, uh, we're having a lot of trouble at home. Uh, So-and-so, whenever they come home, uh, they're the worst person to be around. They're selfish. They're disobedient. They won't do anything. They won't even take out the trash. And it's just obnoxious to be around them. What are you talking to them about on Wednesdays? And I'm like, I don't know, but when they're here, they're kind, they're fun, they worship really loudly, and it's amazing. 
And here's the thing that happens, and this is the eternal, ever, never-ending struggle of being a Christian today, is that it is one thing to come to church, come to Undivided, experience God in a place of community, and allow it to stay here and not bring it home to our family. And the reason we're doing this series is because we want to understand that God has actually called us not first to the church, but our first priority, our first and highest calling is actually to our family. It's your family. And while you do is your family, you also have a family at home. And I'm, I'm going to read a scripture tonight that uh, I, I kind of get triggered when I, when I read it, and I'll tell you why in a moment. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20 says, we love because he first loved us. This is verse 19. Now in verse 20, whoever claims, this is important that you hear this, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us, God has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I want to speak to you tonight on this simple subject. Love what you see. Love what you see. Another title, if you're taking notes, you can write down. When your faith fails your family. When your faith fails your family. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray? And I'm, I'm going to invite you in this moment and encourage you to as we open our eyes to have a sense of focus and lean forward, if you're sitting next to someone who is a distraction to you and is on their phone, I give you permission to slap them in the face, take their phone, and then walk away. I'm kidding. Do not slap them. But bow your heads, close your eyes. God, thank you. God, thank you that uh, you are alive and active. And truly, God, we are thankful that we can come to a community like this and we can worship, and we can be encouraged in the Lord, and we can leave different. But God, our goal is not that this would be the pinnacle, but that this would be the foundation. That it would motivate and, and encourage us to take what you're doing in us here, and allow it to be seen at home. God, let our moms and dads and brothers and sisters and friends and enemies, and people we don't even like, let them see the difference in us and be compelled to follow Jesus because of what they see going on on the inside of us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church. How many of you, you've been in church for a long part of your life? Um, okay, so, so some of you and a lot of you, I don't know what your narrative is, and there's a lot of people here who church has not been your regular story. But for me, church was a regular thing in my life. I grew up going to church. My dad was a pastor as a kid. And so it's much of what I've always known. But the curse of having a parent who is a pastor or works at a church or has been around church environments for a long time, what they do is they use Bible verses when they punish you. Uh, did anyone have a parent that did that? Like, they would, it's as if they were adding weight to it when they would say some sort of scripture to you. And every time you hear it, it's just like you roll your eyes because it's like, come on, Dad. Really? He's like, it's the word of God. You can't argue against it. It's like, come on, stop it. And, and the, the, the struggle was, is even though we were a church family, 
uh, I had two brothers. We would get in arguments uh, all the time. It was mostly my brothers. I was mostly a perfect child. I didn't do a lot of wrong things. But there were times where I would slip into the mode of antagonizer, and all I'd have to do is sit in a corner, make a noise, you know, make a, just a sound or a slight face, and, and it could, I mean, I could make the world erupt. And what would happen is we would get into arguments, we'd hit each other, wrestle, call each other names, pinch each other, poke each other, kick each other, throw things at each other, the typical things that brothers do. And so what my parents would do is they, they tried over the years a variety of torture slash punishment methods, such as feeding us Tabasco sauce. And there's a reason that right now, if someone in the lobby were to open up a lid to a Tabasco sauce, I would immediately smell it. I, I, I hate it. It's so bad. It's because they would put a spoonful of Tabasco in our mouths and made us, make us hold it in there without, yeah, it was, it was bad. I've forgiven them. So don't call CPS. I'm okay. I'm healed. But I I, I still, to this day, cannot stand Tabasco. But they would try all these different things. But the the most frustrating one was when we would get in trouble, what they would do is they would have us stand in the middle of the room, even if it was a public place. Sometimes it was the side of a highway. Sometimes it was at home. And sometimes it was, you know, it could be anywhere. Middle of the night, middle of the day, at church, in a restaurant, you name it. And I can, now that I'm a dad, I cannot wait to do this. I cannot wait to humiliate my kids. I know it's sadistic, but I can't. It's, I'm so excited about it. And what they would do, and, and they, they would have us come to the center of the room. Gabe, why don't you come up here? I'll demonstrate. Uh, they would have us actually... Uh, would you join him, Ethan? I'll just have the two of you both come up here. And What would happen is uh, we would be fighting. So you guys hate each other at, in the moment. You're mad. Well, not, you're not hitting. You already did it. Now I'm dad. I'm in the room. And I'm saying, stop it. You guys are dumb. Don't do that anymore. Um, and what he would do is he would have us we would, he would set a five-minute timer, depending on the severity of what we'd done. Sometimes it was a minute, sometimes it was five minutes, sometimes it was ten minutes, three minutes, you name it. And he would set a timer on the microwave, and he would make us stand in the middle of the room, and we would have to hug. And the matter we were at each other, the longer we had to hug. So we'd be like, oh, Dad, oh, I hate you. This is so stupid. So hug hug, but you're mad at each other, so you're not messing with each other yet, okay? So we would just have to hug, just stay there, and, and I'll narrate. So what would happen is we would be standing in the middle of the room, or on the side of I-5. I'm not kidding you. I'm not even joking you. There were plenty of times where they would pull us off on the side of the road, and we would have to hug until... What would happen was we'd be hugging. No, it's closer than that. There can't be a gap. You don't need any room for the Holy Spirit here. Okay? So full on hug, and we're just hating this. But after a while, you can't help but appreciate how funny it is. And after about two, three minutes, we start laughing, and we start poking each other, and you know, and just messing with each other, and trying to burp and breathe in each other's face. You're still hugging. And... Uh, and, you know, after a few minutes, we start to realize, okay, 
What we were fighting about was no big deal. Can you give it up for Gabe and Ethan? Good job. And uh, so we would, he, he would make us hug, and here's his reasoning for it. And there were times where he would do this with tears. He'd say, Taylor, Shelby, Cameron, how can you say you love God who you can't even see? If you can't love your brother right here, who you can't see. And we'd say, Dad, come on. Stop using scriptures to manipulate us. But it's so true. And again, I cannot wait to do this to my kids. But this is the truth. Is that in today's Christian world, as Christ followers, we are famous for saying and proclaiming, and this is what it says. Here, here, let's read the scripture again. If whoever claims, that word claims means to publicly make known that you love God. So when you claim to love God, what you're saying is, I want people to see that I'm a Christian. Here's what it looks like today. Whoever puts on Instagram that they went to church and is making sure that the guy six people away sees how high I lift my hands because it makes you know me, him like me just a little bit more. And all of that kind of stuff. That is wonderful. I want you to do that. It is appealing to a single guy when he sees you worship. It's great. I'm teasing. But here's the deal. Is he, he says this. Whoever claims, whoever makes known, Whoever publicly makes it obvious that they love God, whom they cannot see with their eyes, whoever says they love God, who they can't see, yet hates their brother, who they can see, they are a liar, and they don't actually love God. It is possible for us to proclaim loudly And to be obvious with our love for God. And say that God is great and worship Him and lift our hands high. And do all of these wonderful things that I believe that when you do it, you're sincere. But it is possible for you and I to do this. And then go home. And act as if our faith was meant to stay in church. And he says, whoever says that they love God, yet hates their brother or sister. They are a liar. A liar. Harsh words. My dad would throw this at us all the time, but it was so true. And our problem is that we want to proclaim our love for God. But can I tell you that saying yes to God is saying yes to loving those who are made in the image of God. Let me say it again. I want you to hear this and write this down. Whoever says that they want to love God is automatically saying and responding to the call to love those that are made in the image of God. You can say all day you love Jesus. You can say all day that you believe in who Jesus is. You can worship loud, lift your hands high, Blare worship music in your ears, which I recommend you do. It's awesome. 
And it's wonderful, and it will encourage your spirit. But it is possible for you to go home and have it have no impact on your life. And can I tell you what this scripture is saying is if it has no impact on your life, then you never really loved God in the first place. Because you cannot, not it's hard to, it is impossible to love God who you cannot see when you hate someone who's created in that very God's image. God created humanity, you and me, and every person on the planet, good, bad, and ugly, every person in between, God created them in his image and in his likeness. And so when he calls us to love him, he's calling us to love who he created. The difference between you and me and nature and trees and animals, those are loved and they're great, and if you're vegan because of it, I applaud you. But the difference between you and me and horses and cows and all the other beautiful animals that God created and trees and rivers and oceans and all of it, it's great. But the difference between us and them is that we are the only creatures that God has created in his image and in his likeness. I hate cats and I know God created them. But can I tell you, The cats are not created in the image of God. Cows, though they taste wonderful, are not created in the image of God. My dog Gibby is definitely not created in the image of God. Now, (laughs) but hear me out. Let me say this, though. Let me say this. You were created in the image of God. Let me say it again. You were created in the image of God. You hate God, you were created in his image. You run from God, you were created in his image. You resent God and resist God and avoid God and hide from God and do things that dishonor God, you were created in the image of God. God created you with his, in his image and with his purpose and his likeness and his DNA and his creative potential and his love and his kindness and the compassion that defines who he is that is in you. God created you in his image to reflect him and to love those who also reflect him. Meaning there is no one who you are called to hate. A lot of times what we like to do is we like the benefits of worshiping God, but we want to keep us, this whole God thing, in a place where it's comfortable. But the moment we go home to mom and dad who annoy us with their rules and take away our cell phone every time we do something stupid, which, by the way, you don't even pay for it anyways. Okay, if you do, then whatever. Okay. (laughs) Work with me here. But so often, we want the benefits of worshiping God. We want to say that we love God and believe in God, and God's great, and he's wonderful, and he's awesome. And yet we go home, and we act in a way that would say that we hate and resist and disdain those who God created in his image. How can you say that you love God who you can't even see that it requires faith to believe in him when you can't even love your own brother, sister, mom, dad, teacher, authority, friend, 
person who gossips about you. You can't love them, then friends, you don't love God. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And here's, here it is. And I grew up singing this. He who loves not does not know God, because God is love. Therefore, because God is love, let us love one another. You cannot love God and hate anybody. You cannot love God and dishonor your parents and say, I love God, but I'm going to do my thing. I want to love God, but I don't want to have to actually treat people in such a way that reflects the value that God placed in them. How can you love your brother or your God who you can't see when you can't love God? Sorry, I'm mixing it up. How can you love God who you can't see who when you can't love your brother who you can see? Write this down. How do we show an unseen God that we love him? We show an unseen God that we love him by loving what we can see. The way that we show the unseen God that we love him is by allowing our love for him to be reflected in our love for those who we can see. Look around. The people on your left and your right. The people behind and in front of you. The people on the other side of your screen when you're looking at them in jealousy or in hatred, when you're typing words that hurt, when you compare yourself to others, people in your school, the people at your home, the people at church, people in authority over you, hello. How can you love God who you can't see when you can't love God, those who God has called you to love right in front of you. I want to give us a few thoughts tonight. I want to preface this. I want to read this one more time. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen, they cannot love God who they can't not see. Hates a brother. That word hate means this. It means to de- despise or mistreat or resist or to love less than. Now let me say this, because a lot of you say, well, I don't hate anyone. There's just a lot of people who annoy me. Like, I don't hate my mom. I just hate it when she gives me all these rules that are unreasonable, that I haven't earned any freedom from. But it's beside the point. I, I, don't, I don't hate anyone, but if people don't respect me, I'm not going to respect them. I, I don't hate anyone, but man, you got to earn my love. And what we, what we say is that, well, I don't hate anyone, but here's what the, that word hate means. Sometimes it's not just hate. Sometimes it's treating people inconsistent with the value that they have. Because remember that every person is created in the image of God. So a lot of times what we do is we treat people according to a human value system that we've placed on them. You wronged me, so I'm going to treat you accordingly. You hurt me, so I'm going to treat you accordingly. 
You abused me, so I'm going to treat you accordingly. You said something about me, so I'm going to treat you accordingly. I don't know you, so I'm going to treat you like I don't know you. And so what we do is we assign our own experiential human values onto people, and so we treat them in accordance with what we see. But God has not called us to treat people in accordance with what we see. We're called to treat people in accordance with what God says about them. What does he say about the person next to you? What does he say about the person across the world who's done heinous things? What does he say about every person on existence on planet Earth? He says, I look at you and I see my son. I love you. I've created you in my image. There's nothing you can do to deserve my love because before the foundations of the world, I sent my, I planned to send my son to redeem the world that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so when he sees every human on this planet, every person in your school, every person who's ever wronged you, he sees them through the lens of his son and he sees them knowing that hey despite what you've done before I even put this earth into place I saw you from a place of eternity and I created you with purpose and love and I knew exactly what I was doing I didn't leave anything from you I love you you are in my image you are just like me you are beautiful you are fearfully and wonderfully made this is how God sees you this is how God sees me. This is how God sees your neighbor. This is how God sees your enemy. So what happens, though, is when we treat them with hate, it's not because we hate them like, I hate you. It's when we treat them in out of accordance with what their value is. So anytime you disobey your authority, you're saying, I hate you. Anytime you call somebody a name when they're not there, you're saying, I hate them. Anytime that you gossip out of habit, you're saying, I hate the person. Anytime, anytime that you say something behind someone's back, you're saying, I hate you. Anytime you roll your eyes at your mom, I hate you. Anytime you treat somebody out of accordance with the value that God has placed on them, you know what you're saying? You know what I'm saying? This is hard for me to hear because I have a three-year-old daughter who, if I'm being honest, there have been times where out of tiredness, overreaction, frustration, I have said with my actions, not with my heart, I've never felt one ounce of hatred towards my daughter or my son. But in my actions, I have said, you're not as valuable as what God says about you. It's hard for me to hear. What is he saying? We are called to love people in accordance to the value that God has placed on them. Are you hearing me? Come on, are you hearing me? Maybe you need to close your eyes and think of somebody in your world who you are called to love even though you don't feel love towards them. You may not feel hatred towards them either, but you treat them like you do. You may not feel love. Why don't you treat them like you do even when you don't? feeling. I want to give us three thoughts, three questions we need to ask. Number one, number one, write this down. Who's above me? Who's above me? Another way to say it is who has God placed in my life? 
Who is God, God placed in my life over me, in authority over me? Who has God placed in my life? Now, here's the low-hanging fruit. Here's the easy one. Mom and dad. I understand there's a lot of us in here who don't have a dad in the home. We don't know our mom. Parents are divorced. We don't have a relationship with one of our parents. Got a step-parent in the home. But whoever's over you in in your life, whether they're perfect or not, because I can guarantee you there's not one person in here who has a perfect parent. Some of you have hard stuff. I was blessed to have two parents at home. They pastored this church today. They loved me unconditionally. They did a great job. There were times where my parents were not perfect, but they were great. And I understand that 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 is not everyone's narrative. I know there are people in here, you've never met your dad. And I can't say I understand that fully, but what I am saying is that each person, God has placed over your life authorities, civil authorities, parental authorities, teacher authorities, leaders here. Those authorities did not place themselves over you. Actually, the scripture says that all authority is given to man by God. Meaning there's no authority on earth that wasn't first approved by God, even the worst of them. Not saying that God set them there, not saying that God called them to do terrible things. What I'm saying is that each of us has people in our lives that have been placed over us to teach us what we need to know. So you got to ask yourself, who has God placed in my life over me? Ephesians 6.1 says this, and I memorized this as a kid. It says, children, everyone say, I'm a child. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a child. Children. It says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is a good practice, but here's where it continues. So it says, children, you and me, people, people who follow Jesus, people who are part of families, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, this is biological parents. This is parents placed in your home, step-parents, whatever it is. But it's also authorities that are over you in God, which is pastoral authorities. It's people that God has placed in in your community as an authority over you. God places authority over us to teach us. But here's what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then the next part, it goes on to say, honor your father and mother. Honor. It's a step up above obey. Obey is good. Honor is better. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it will go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And here's what happens. We often read it like this. It's as if God's saying, hey, Taylor, I'm God, and I am the only thing that matters. Like, Jesus is the reason. He's it. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. So, you ever get a mom or dad or an authority who you don't like, tells you to do something that is not who you are, you're not jiving with it? As long as you still love me, you do whatever you want, boy. Because I got you. Because it's all about me. doesn't say that. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Here's what he's saying. And this is, if, if I could leave you with anything tonight, I want you to hear this loud and clear. What he's saying to do is that we need to establish and set up in our lives the habit of honor. But what happens 
is that people have developed a habit of dishonor to where it's not even in their intent, that they do it automatically. So they'll dishonor people unless they feel like they've earned it and deserve it. We've developed a habit of dishonor where automatically, automatically, we dishonor unless we have something to get. We dishonor authority because they don't deserve it. We dishonor people because they make decisions we don't like. We dishonor people above us and around us because, well, we don't have to because they haven't earned my respect. So what we've done is we've developed a habit of dishonor. And so here's what he's saying is you've got, this is the promise. This is the first commandment in all of scripture that is intrinsically attached to a promise that when Listen, when you honor, you set yourself up for success in the future. There's this promise that comes that when you honor, when you honor your authority, when you honor your mother and father, when you honor those gods placed over you, what you are doing is you are inviting future success into your life. You're inviting things to go well with you. We're learning this with a three-year-old. Hayden has a habit of dishonor. That if we're not careful, she will develop into her later years in life. Her habit sometimes is to throw a fit when we take something away. Or when something's not working. When she can't get her shoes tied. Whatever it might be. And she doesn't do this every day. I mean, being a parent is awesome. But there are days where she will do something that are inconsistent with what we have taught her as a little three-year-old to do, also hashtag three-nager. That's what they call them because she is a little three-year-old teenager. And so what we have to do is instead of allowing her to maintain this habit of dishonor, we have to teach her that when she doesn't get something she wants, she asks for help instead of saying no. Or that instead of screaming and saying, no, I will do this, that we instead we put her in time out or we give her whatever punishment we have assigned to different things because we are not going to allow her to continue to develop a habit of dishonor. Because what I don't want to have happen is for her when she's 14 years old get kicked out of class because she has learned the habit of dishonor. You hear what I'm saying? I I don't want her to get kicked out of class or when she's 24 lose a job because she has trained herself in the habit of dishonor. A lot of times what you do is when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, you don't care about your habits because you think that things will go well with you. Can I tell you, the promise goes both ways. That when you develop a habit of honor, things go well. When you develop a habit of dishonor, things won't go well. It's a promise. See, God's really into the whole promise thing because he wants people to understand how to find success in their life. And if we're not careful... Instead of developing a habit of honor, see, the habit of honor is practiced with people who don't deserve it. Ouch. Meaning, you train yourself to have the habit of honor by honoring people who in your mind don't even deserve it. Ouch. Meaning, you can hate somebody in political authority and still honor them. You can disagree with a pastor or a teacher and still honor them. 
You can disagree with a, a decision your boss made and still honor them. There was a time where we had a leader early on, New Orleans, I was probably six, seven years ago. And uh, there were some things going on. And long story short, um, she felt the need to come talk to us. And, and it was, she brought some stuff to our attention that was so frustrating to hear. And it really, it was, it was, it was really, it was, I, we were angry and we were mad. And, but, but she sat us down on the couch and she said, hey, I just want to let you guys know, I haven't talked to anyone else about this because I, I honor you guys. And I know this might be hard to hear, but I respect you guys and I'm committed to you and I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. So I don't want you to feel like I'm just bringing this stuff to you because I'm a critical person. And, and it was so, it was paradoxical because we felt hurt by the words that were said, even though there were some shreds of truth to it. But we felt honored. Why? Because even though there were some things that she and I and Noel disagreed on, she was honoring in how she brought it to us. Can I tell you, some of your parents are going to make decisions you don't like. Police officers, political leaders, teachers, principals, older brothers, friends, whoever. They will do things that make them not worthy of honor, but you are still called to honor anyways. And what you do is when you practice the habit of honor, it's two H's, work with me. Who laughed? Thank you. One laugh out of that. The habit of honor. That's funny. The, the H is silent, but I, okay. Rewind. <laughs> You're getting it. My sense of humor, it goes high, okay? I, I know it's above a lot of people's heads. Comes with 34 years of age, okay? Thank you. But when we develop the habit of honor, when people don't deserve it, it will put us in places with people that when, when, when it comes time to reap the benefits of the habit, that we will be thankful that when it wasn't deserved, we chose to honor anyways. And, and I, I really want to challenge some of us in here. And I, I, here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes just for a second. Undivided is going to be a place that has a culture of honor. And what I'm not talking about is fake honor. What I'm not talking about is fanning people's butts and making them just feel like a million bucks because we want a platform and an opportunity. That's not what I'm talking about. But we are going to be a place of honor. And here's what you need to do. I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to think. Because if we're not careful, we will maintain this habit of dishonor. And it won't be when we're 14. It will be when we're 20 and we're still living at home in 24 and we're still living at home in 30 when we're still living at home. Or when we're kicked out, we have to float from couch to couch because we have learned the habit of dishonor and it does not go well with people who are in the habit of dishonor. So you got to ask yourself, are you in the habit, in the rhythm of dishonor? Is it easy for you to gossip? Is it easy for you to make fun of people? Is it easy for you to walk out of UD and make fun of the leader who talked to you because you do the same thing every week and they talk to you about it every week and you just don't care? You can go on and do that, but what I'm telling you is it goes well for people who learn the habit of honor, whether it's deserved or not. And I want to encourage you. I don't need it, but you need it. I don't need you to honor me, but can I tell you, I need to learn the habit of honor for those in my life 
So when the day comes, when push comes to shove, that I have practiced the habit of honor. You can open your eyes. Let's develop the habit of honor. And here's what I want to invite you to do. Practice it here. Practice it with your mom and dad. Because again, you got to take this home. I don't want you to raise your hand, but some of you got parents who do not know Jesus. What a, what, what a great idea to show them God's love by honoring them when you don't even feel like they deserve it. What if your parents came to know God because of you? Because you learned to honor before it was deserved. What if you honored authority that lost your trust, but you honored anyways? I'm not saying that you give the trust back, but I am saying that you honor in spite of the trust lost. There's a way to do it. There's even a way to critique. There's people in here who have come to me recently saying, hey, there's this and this going on. I wanted to talk to you about it. And I say, every time I'm like, hey, this hurts to hear. It's hard to hear, but I appreciate that you came to me. Why? Because they're showing honor in spite of a disagreement. It's still possible. We got to develop the habit of honor. Amen? Come on, can we do that? I'm going to give you the last two points. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. We're going to get ready for worship as we close the night. and It's going to be great. <clears throat> but the first one is this. Who's above you? Number two, write this down. Write this down. Who's next to you? First one, who's above you? Second one, who's next to you? What this represents, okay, the first one is your parents, mom, dad, authorities. Second one, who's next to you? Brothers, sisters, peers, friends, church members, people in your row, people you sit on the opposite side of the sanctuary from because you don't like them and you don't want to sit next to them. Who's next to you? Other believers. Who's next to you? Because if you can't, here's what it would say. How can you say you love God who you can't see if you can't love who's next to you who you can see? Does it mean you have to love everything they do and agree with everything they do? But there's a way to honor Number three, who's behind you? Who's behind you? I want you to raise your hand all around this room. If you have a younger sibling, younger brother, younger sister, raise your hand. Okay, awesome. You can put your hands down. And maybe you don't have a younger brother or sister, but you have someone who you know looks up to you. You got a little cousin. Maybe you're in high school and you know there's some middle schoolers who they look, they, you don't even realize it, but they look up to you. They follow you on Instagram. They're watching the moves you make. You have people behind you. Now listen, listen. It's one thing to honor your parents, honor those in authority. You don't have to love everything they do, agree with everything, but honor it's another thing to honor your peers. But can I tell you, my hope for Undivided would, would be as, as, as we create a culture of honor where we know how to honor those above us and those beside us, that it would cause us to be motivated to honor those beneath us, to set an example for those still coming. I'm thankful 
for people in my world when I was 16, 17, 18 years old who took the time to love me when I didn't deserve it, to raise me up. I can honestly say that the reason I'm here today is because people were willing to do that. Could we be the same? That we would honor and build up and lift up and encourage and set an example for those coming behind us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?